What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is with Sean Alexander, also known as the Simple Approach Coach. Having gone a more unconventional route with fitness as a male gymnast and cheerleader, Sean now focuses on bringing simple tactics to those he helps, which is needed in an industry that tends to overwhelm people. In this conversation, we touch on topics around dealing with societal pressure, overcoming peer judgment, how to conquer limiting self-beliefs, and why it is important to be a lifelong learner. Sean shines an extremely bright light on life, and I'm very much looking forward to y'all getting a chance to hear this conversation. So please give Sean Alexander a warm welcome to the show. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here, back with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And I'm here with my buddy, Sean Alexander, and he asked me, how many episodes in am I? And I can't believe that when this drops, this will be episode 151. So I hit the 150 mark about three years in, and I'm super stoked about that. And I couldn't be more happy with the whole entire journey and who I get to sit here with today. He is uh, a beaming light of energy, and that's exactly what I love about him and then about a lot of people here in Austin, Texas. And it's just, I'm so grateful to be able to have this as part of my, I guess, quote unquote, job. But without further ado, I'd like to welcome Sean Alexander to the show. How are you doing today, Sean? Man, I am doing well. I'm glad to be here. So thank you very much for the invite. And uh, honestly, couldn't think of anything better I'd rather be doing with my Thursday afternoon. So yeah, it's a beautiful day here in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm going to be hitting the gym after this, so maybe that's what you're doing too. But I got, I got mine in earlier, oh, so yeah. it's, it's already behind me, water under the bridge. I love it. Um, but first question I have for you, speaking of the gym, I know you're avid in fitness, but I just saw on social that you just crushed a Spartan race, and I literally saw you do a front flip into the mud, and I'm going to be fucking honest. I like held my breath because I was like, I hope he doesn't like fuck up his legs or his ankles. Um, but yeah, give us a little rundown of why you were doing a Spartan race. Was that your first one? Was this, have you been doing it for a while or yeah? Second Spartan race. First one was eight years ago. So a little bit of a gap between number one and number two. And, and I'll pause and talk about that front flip for a second. Whenever I got done, my buddy that was running behind me said, hey, man, I'm really glad that you kind of knew your depth there. And I said, no, it was a lucky guess, man. I honestly I had no clue how deep it was. So, And for anyone that has not seen, that was a front flip directly into a gigantic mud puddle. And it was pretty Do not crazy. recommend. No, no, <laughs> like, yeah, dude, no, please don't try this thinking? at home. Um, man, I thought my buddy was behind me with a GoPro and it would look cool for video. So, you know, you got to flex on him a little bit. And I will say whenever I landed mud splashed right up into my eyes. And so I had this <laughs> thick, nasty mud right in my eyeball. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just reach down into the water and like clean it out. And I dip my hand into the water and it comes out nasty, like chocolate, you know, Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, thick coated mud. And I was like, I don't think I can clean my eye with that. <laughs> I mean, so, if you do, you're going to look like you're coming out like you have war paint all over you. That, that's how you get pink could, eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So did the Spartan race just because I had a really good buddy or rather two of them that they're super fit guys. And honestly, sometimes just going in and turning your brain off and turning your body on is just the funnest way to enjoy each other's company and really get some good quality bonding together. I'd much rather do that than go sit at a bar and it's like, let's go suffer together a little bit. So, you know, as we're climbing over these obstacles and swimming in the mud and, and running and complaining about how bad this all sucks, it's like, hey, man, we got to remind ourselves we paid for this because this is the kind of masochistic fun that we enjoy. <laughs> what was the toughest part of it? For me, it's the running. I, I have asthma. I Honestly, I, I try not to manifest that I don't like running. So I don't want to say that. I, I had to catch myself right there. I don't run typically because that's not always my favorite activity you could say it's on on the totem pole of things you enjoy when it comes to health and wellness running is not at the top of the bar. it's not at the top right <laughs> we won't talk about where it falls but it's not at the top so for me running is by far the most difficult thing so i think the race was six miles set 
but by the time that we actually traversed, you know, and you're running side to side within the bounds of the, the course, I think our watches said that we ran around seven. And so for me, it's like my knees are aching and crying and yelling at me. And uh, my lungs feel like they're on fire and they're going to explode. And my two buddies struggle more with the obstacles. So between the obstacles, you know, I'm catching my breath on the monkey bars and they're struggling a little bit more with that. And they would pick up the pace on the run. And I was just like, oh man, this is really tough. At, at one point about the halfway mark, they were running uphill and I just stopped and started walking, took the GoPro off and I was talking to myself like, well, my buddies are you know over the hill over there, but I'm just going to keep walking for a second because... You know, one foot, two foot. I don't need to run. I just need to keep moving forward at whatever pace. What inspired it? So you said you you did that race eight years ago. Why did you do it eight years ago? I don't know. Honestly, I think it was kind of right around the time Spartan was becoming a thing in the obstacle races. And I really had heard of Tough Mudder and Spartan as the only two. And so I knew there was one here in Austin. And I think it was just kind of a sporadic a buddy asked, Hey, do you want to go do it? And I was a big old bodybuilder, 30 pounds heavier, thought that I was the shit. I was like, Oh yeah. Like, let me go do that. I obviously look at me. I can go do this. It, it was only three miles on that one. And again, <laughs> it was the toughest, uh, the running put me in the dirt, man. So it's funny. You mentioned that. And it's funny. It's eight years ago. Cause I, I asked why they eight, eight years ago, because eight years ago I did a tough mutter. And that was like my first introduction. I did it in New Jersey. And that was my first introduction into the OCR world. And I'm a soccer player. Like I was my whole life. Oh, so you enjoy the running. Aspect. No, I don't. So I know what you're saying when you're just like, I would literally tell people I hate running. And they're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? You play soccer. And it's like, well, that's running with a purpose. <laughs> so like the purpose is to score the goals. And like, I get to also like kind of hit people, um, which it's a total sidebar, but soccer like in america like in in college is way different than the professional where you see like people falling down every two minutes i hate that right but in college the wind like, blows wrong and they're rolling on the ground yeah like, like you, that doesn't like if you do that in college soccer like first of all your whole team is gonna be like what the hell are you doing like man man up and i kind of feel like, the same thing about nba versus college mm, basketball even just the scores are very different maybe college is just more competitive in general, I think there's something to be said about once you get paid to do what you're doing, it shifts a little bit. And then also when you're on the world stage, like it's just a different mindset and mentality, especially when it comes to like the aggressiveness of the sport. And I also think, granted, like when you're at an amateur level, like the referees play a part in it as well. So like there's not cameras everywhere when you were in college. So that kid that wants to take a cheap shot at you if the referee doesn't see it, like it's fair game. Yeah. So it's like, it's a different, That's like wild. there's no cameras looking at him being like going to scrutinize him after the game or on ESPN. So it's just like, it's a whole different game where it's like, people just don't care. And like, it was aggressive. Um, but the reason I, I said that is like, that was fun to me and the running was not. So I, I empathize with that. The running was a means to an end, not the specific goal. And that's where, I'd love to dive into, so you mentioned bodybuilding and I know a little bit of your past, but for those listening, I've hung out with Sean, I think twice, uh, three times now. Three times. Three times. This is hangout number four. Yeah, this is number four. <laughs> we were at a gym. Uh, luckily, our, our friend Angela introduced us at Squatch Frontier Fitness and then uh, you came out to the Hell, Hell on, on Wheels, wheels. which yeah, is fun. Yeah. Um, and then we hung out at the gym the other day as well and- the beauty of podcasts is I get to learn a little bit more about everybody that's sit down here with. And I wanted to utilize today as a way to do that and kind of learn more about your past and how you came to love fitness in general, and then wanting to help other people better their lives and improve their lives. So feel free to just take the floor right now and kind of give a, a background of who you are, where you're from, why you do what you do. And then that way, whoever's listening on the other end might connect with that. Cool. So I was born and raised in Cottonfield country, Northwest Texas, in a city called Lubbock, where Texas Tech University is based out of. It's maybe the only reason you ever would have heard of it. And if you have not heard of it, honestly, you're better off for it. Uh, there's not much out there. It's the kind of place where you can stand on a Coke can and watch your dog run away for two days. <laughs> like there's just nothing going on out there. But with less to do, there's less rules. And so it, you're just an active kid. Like there's not 
fun activities. You're just kind of tossed outside and said, okay, come home whenever the street lights turn off. And so I always grew up just way more athletically than academically inclined. It was always really small. So I didn't play organized sports in a big way growing up, but I was always riding my bike cityscape to cityscape, just north end of town to south end, east to west. And so I remember being like 13 and looking at my legs and having these cuts on them and being like, muscular cuts, not like scraped up. I mean, probably, you know, scraped up knees as well. But I was like, damn, like this is kind of crazy because I didn't know anything about musculature or anything, but I was just an active kid, always moving. And uh, I played tennis in middle school, played one, I think, year of peewee basketball when I was a kid, but I was so short and so (laughs) thin and so small basketball was not dude i quit basketball after sixth grade yeah so I get it. as soon as future. everyone like hit puberty before me and started growing i was like i'm out dude. i think i quit when i was six years old okay <laughs> like, i was way earlier to to recognize that's not in my future and so i think my parents had me in kind of gymnastics classes but it was more of a after school daycare type thing than structured gymnastics with a purpose and in that i learned how to do a back handspring on a trampoline And so that set me up for my athletic career forever because even though I didn't find myself into gymnastics till I was in high school, I played tennis and I just kind of had a lot of surface level expertise in a lot of different sports. And then whenever I went into high school, they said, okay, well, you have to have athletic credits to graduate. And so I was like, okay, well, I am way too small to play football. That's not going to happen. Wait, your high school made you Only one in, yeah, oh no, we had to have an athletic credit. How is in every school? Why doesn't every school have this? I think we had to have two years. I mean, you could take That's a crazy. PE class, but you oh, had okay. to have one. And then my school was the only school with a gymnastics team in our entire city. We didn't have another one that was a competitive public school gymnastics program. And so I looked around and I was like, okay, maybe diving. I didn't want to wake up at 5 a.m. to get in the pool every day. I thought swimming, kind of suck at swimming. So I was kind of just playing the field. And then gymnastics popped up and I said, well, I can do a, a backflip on my trampoline. So I'm I think I'm qualified. (laughs) So at 14, I found myself into men's Olympic style gymnastics with floor, vault, pommel horse, parallel bars, high bar, and rings. And for the next four years, that was what I did. I mean, I fell in love with it. So picked it up really, really quick. By the end of my first year, I was a competitor at the local competition. So we would have to get on a bus and drive six hours because, again, cotton field country. We had to go to find the competitions. But by the end of my freshman year, it was like I found something that I can really build some momentum and and run with because I was still really short. And then my sophomore year, again, I was just building on that. And right at the beginning of my sophomore year, my coach for gymnastics, he said, hey, well, you're really excelling on the floor and tumbling. And I do some private lessons down at the local cheerleading gym. So why don't you consider doing cheerleading for a year? So I'm 15 years old and I thought, well, I love ladies and I love tumbling. So yeah, like that seems like a perfect marriage right there. And so I ended up doing a year of competitive cheerleading. So not for my school. It was not like pom-poms in my hands. It was competitive, putting girls up and tumbling and the whole nine yards. And so I ended up doing that for one year, had an injury that took me out, thought, man, cheerleading is not really what I love anyways. So completed my high school career in gymnastics. And then I got a lot taller my junior and senior year. I blew up to a whopping 5'11", you know, 5'10 and a half. I'm a, I'm a son of a bitch for 5'11". I get what it is. Like, I'm short in general, but like I went from 5'7 in like a year or two. So it was just like I was super fucking short and then grew seven inches and stayed short, but at least like I wasn't five foot anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was just on like the delayed path, right? You know, keep, it kept me humble for a long yeah. time. It, um, it taught you you have a fight. You have that heart. Yeah, exactly. I, got, I got some grit in me. I really thought that I would go to college for gymnastics, and then I was 5'11", and all of a sudden, I don't have the build for competitive gymnastics anymore. So I graduated high school, and again, academics, not really in my wheelhouse. I always got fine grades, A's and B's, with the occasional C. But my parents probably expected a lot more of me. They, they are both very academically inclined. My siblings, very academically inclined. And then here I was like, I like doing flips. <laughs> you know, like not, not really studying and doing the international baccalaureate program. And uh, okay, I'll save that for the rest of them. 
And so I graduated high school and I kind of looked around like, well, shit, I, I'm not going to be able to go join a competitive college team. I'm not that good. Also, I'm probably too tall at this point. So I might as well go to the gym. I think that's what adults do. <laughs> so I stepped into the gym and I just fell in love because I really wanted to get big biceps before I went to my first semester of college. And so I didn't have big biceps. I think for my first workout for the next eight or seven or eight months, I didn't miss a single day. It was seven days a week. Just like this is a, a requirement now. It, it is a, an essential, you know, there's no exception to missing the gym. It just became such an ingrained part of my routine. And then eight months later, I looked at my arms and I probably looked like a gorilla. I could have walked around on my fist, but I had bigger arms chest and back and legs everything else was lacking but it was like man like I, <laughs> my biceps are there and so for me it just taught me so much about consistency and self-discipline and i really like the instant gratification of the early days of the gym because or even still you walk in and you want your arms to look a certain type of way even just from an aesthetic perspective which i don't always recommend is the most important thing but okay well if I go to the gym and work my arms out for 45 minutes, I get more blood in my muscles. They pump up a little bit and I can see the difference now. If I want to be good at calculus, I can't go work 50 calculus problems and, and see the difference now because I got to wait for the next exam to come around or, you know, it's not something that I can really feed myself on in that instant gratification type of way. And so for me, it was like, man, I, I didn't have big arms. I went to the gym every day for eight months and probably worked my arms out five days a week. And all of a sudden, I got big arms. And it was like, for me, it was just this aha moment where, you know, I like to say I opened the refrigerator and I saw the Grand Canyon. Shit, if I just get my reps in, I'll be good at things. And I just never had understood that before. And so I ended up failing out of college right after, halfway through my first semester. And it wasn't for lack of effort. It was going to every class, studying as hard as I could, taking notes. I remember I had a chemistry tutor and I didn't drink too much because I've never really enjoyed going out and partying like that. I'd never smoked pot a single day in my life. And I wasn't just like having sex with too many women because my birth control back in those days was that women just said no. I was really trying my best and I just couldn't figure it out. So I dropped out and felt so lost. And so I really fell back into the gym because it was just such a way for me to have control over something. And so I just dove in. And that next spring semester of 2014, I um, was working at a supplement shop slinging protein powder and, and probably under the table testosterone booster pills that at these days I think are like a little bit more controlled. But 2014, it was like, you know, you're just fish oil, CLA, Garcinia Cambrosia. You know, I was the guy behind the counter that didn't really know much of anything, but I was just trying to get myself a little bit more into fitness in a bigger way than just going to the gym. So I had so much downtime. I remember I got my personal training certification, first one right there in that spring semester. And then I just fell in love. I went back to school the following fall and I applied that principle of getting my reps in and had a little bit more, I don't know, self-determination behind me. And all of a sudden I've gotten A's in school ever since I've been taking classes from that point moving forward. And it was just such a turning point for me that fitness became such a cornerstone of, okay, this is now a part of my life. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Sean. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, 
connect with like-minded individuals, and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Sean Alexander. Something you said where your siblings and your parents viewed you in a way that, okay, you should be a high achieving academic. And in your head, you're just like, I love to do flips. That's good and bad in so many ways, because if if you love doing flips, that's great. But if you think of yourself as I can't be an academic, that's the limiting factor. And that's what I think so many people struggle with, where when you're younger, that's how we think. It's just like, oh, I'm the guy that does flips and nothing else, rather than being like, if I put the same effort that I do into the flips and that same focus into the academic world, I can be the guy that does academics. And then the, the thing that I've always struggled with is like, until you find what your academics are like meaning like what area within the realm of academia are you predisposed to feel successful in i swear i failed out my first semester because i took 18 hours of petroleum engineering why did you do that why did you even start there it was i'm a doctor i'm a lawyer or i'm an engineer or a fourth option i'm a failure i'm just not worth my salt in any way and it wasn't that my parents had these negative views my parents are awesome yeah, you know, I had such a great childhood. If I was feeling scared in my room, I'd be like, Dad, he'd say, Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like like he was right there for me. But it was one of those deals where I had such a negative perception of myself. I always felt like I was the black sheep. I'll tell you a story. My dad is like a super self made guy. And I mean self made. I'm self made. Whatever that means to you, that's my dad. It came from a background that wouldn't have warranted the career and the life that he has now. And he had a brother that I honestly don't really know. He, he was my uncle and he passed away whenever I was probably five years old and he was addicted to drugs and smoked cigarettes and was flipping burgers at Burger King till he was 55. And my dad never slandered his brother. He loves him with his whole heart, but it was always a little bit of an example. Like, hey man, we both came from the same background. You have it better than we did. You can choose which path you're going to go on, but don't think that just because you have a better childhood and upbringing and opportunities now that you're destined to have the same lifestyle that you are fortunate enough to have while you're a kid. Yeah, you could absolutely veer off the wrong way. Just like we started off from a, a tougher childhood and veered off, you know, one veered the right way and one veered the wrong way. And I remember distinctly being 17, 18 years old, you know, applying to colleges. And then as I failed out, just devastated because. I looked at my siblings who are just so smart. I could have a whole podcast just bragging about how cool my siblings are. They're just the coolest people in the world. And I remember distinctly feeling like, one, I am the black sheep because I am not that, which was a self-proclaimed label. No one else was saying that about me, but I was the black sheep. And I probably lived with that mentality till I was 23 or 24. It took a long time to finally phase out of that, even after I was having some success in my life. And then... Two, I just had this fear that as we got older, my siblings would have kids and then they would tell their kids, hey, look, we all came from the same background and look at one, two, and three, and then look at my brother, Sean, or your uncle, and use me as the example of what not to do. I was terrified that I was just not cut out for success. And it was totally a self-made fear that I think people look at me now and they just assume, oh, he's always been confident, always, always looked that way, always, always been able to speak to women or he's always been able to eat healthy foods and bench press what he, no, it's just not it. I was so insecure and it took a lot of self-work to overcome that. And so I think that's the the main message from it is, man, you got to find what you're predisposed to be successful at and don't put these limiting labels around what success is because I find that I'm fantastically successful right now and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an engineer and life is good. You know, I have awesome, very successful friends that, that enjoy my company and think of me as a, I think a person that you could look up to, maybe a little bit of a role model for some people that are in a different part of their lives and, and, you know, someone worth mentoring for people that are further ahead of me in, in parts of their lives. You just said something that triggered something in me in a good way. Uh, you said people that enjoy my company. And the thing is, at the end of the day, like success you're, you're mentioning, for me, I wholeheartedly believe that like, quote unquote, success is a person being able to A, enjoy their own company, 
when they wake up every morning and when they go to bed at night and then B, enjoy the company of others, whoever that they're surrounding in. Because really the reality of life is we only have what is happening in our own brain and then the environment, the degrees right around us at any given moment, because we can't time travel yet. And <laughs> yeah. you can only be in one place at one time. So when you're alone, are you enjoying your own mind and what you believe in and and where you are? And then on top of that, when you're not alone and you're around these other people, like, are you enjoying the company of those people? Because that's, that's really all we have. It doesn't matter how much money you make, what your job is. And it, because there's doctors and I had to learn, like, I went to school for engineering for very similar reasons. And really realized, like, I started off as something bioengineer. And then I was like, I don't enjoy the company of any of these people. And I hate myself because I'm failing. Like, (laughs) this is not it. And then, like, switched to something else. And then I went into systems engineering. And I really enjoyed those people because it was more of, like, 50-50 of work hard, play hard types. And it was more business engineering where it was oriented in, okay, the jobs you're going to get are going to help businesses make better systems and be more efficient and effective and make the world a better place. That was what we were pitched. Now it had obviously has pros and cons, uh, just like I'm sure your, your path did. But what I started to realize was if I was okay within my own mind, and then I was okay with the people that I'm around, I already won. You're already a, a success. What more do you need? Yeah. What more do we need in life? But how did you go about getting to that point outside of the gym? So like, it's a lot tougher than what you just like described because it doesn't happen overnight. It's not like going to the gym and you feel that pump. That doesn't happen. Like, so to clarify the question, what kept you going? You know, so the gym was the catalyst for me because there was instant gratification. You walk in, your arms are bigger, but then you walk out 45 minutes later, they deflate, you know? And so it's, uh, and you're right back to reality, brings you back the next day. Okay. Well, well, damn, I got to go do it again. And so you start to evolve over time and then you recognize, well, it's the long game, but it's consistent effort every single day that will lead me to a long-term result. And so I remember distinctly having that awareness around the gym specifically. Oh, if I want big arms and I on day one, month one, don't have big arms and then month seven, you know, workout 150, I do. Well, damn, it was the compounding effort of 150 workouts. But I remember distinctly being horrified to talk to girls. I, I was like, uh, 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 "Why?" I couldn't Where do did it. That stem from? I honestly, I don't know. I didn't feel like I was well received, and so I felt like I was maybe a little rough around the edges. But I knew that I was a good guy. Like I would never yell at someone. I'm not an aggressive guy. I would never take advantage of somebody. Like I know in my heart of hearts, I'm a good person. But why am I not received well? And so I distinctly remember, not by everyone. You know, some people certainly like me, just my general predisposition. They're like inclined to want to hang out with me. But then some people I just felt like, or I could perceive that I rubbed them the wrong way and I didn't really know why. And it's maybe because I was a little too loud, a little too boisterous, a little bit too much of the, you know, just kind of take a chill pill type of a guy. (laughs) And and so I remember asking my buddy at, at a certain point who was a college cheerleader at Texas Tech, he was six foot two, six foot three, had like the full shadow beard scruff. And he was surrounded by beautiful women all the time. And his name is Matt. And honestly, I say buddy, I really don't know him that well. Didn't even know him that well at the time. So I don't think he understands the impact that he had on me. But yes, maybe Matt, I, if maybe, you're out there and you listen to this. Yeah, maybe I owe him a phone call or something. <laughs> but I asked him, I said, Matt, have you always been able to talk to girls like that? He said, no. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, you just got to practice. And it was just this moment where I recognized it's, just like the gym. I just need to practice, get my reps in. And it's the same thing as the gym though. You can't go in and practice bicep curls with bad form. You know, to go from novice to beginner, it's just fucking do it. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Go get a gym membership and just, if you've seen one thing that you think- The beauty of the gym is like, when you go there, you're going to see how many other people in the gym. A ton that are working on the same thing. You literally could just go in there and creep and be like, okay, that guy's doing that. I'm kind of just going to do the same thing. Well, so from a novice perspective, it's just go in and do it. And then if you want to go from novice to beginner and then beginner to intermediate, it's like, okay, get a program and build some, some structure and some regularity in your routine. And then that's where most people phase out right there is they don't understand to go from that intermediate to the intermediate advanced level because they're assuming it's the same structure to get to another level 
as novice to beginner and beginner to intermediate, which is just fucking do it, structure and consistency. And they think, well, to advance past that, I need more structure, more discipline, more consistency. And it's like, well, kind of no. They say practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Okay, well, so then the questions you're asking should evolve from, hey, what do you do for your arms? How often do you train your arms? What are your favorite exercises? Two, what are you internally thinking about when you do that movement? What are the small form cues that you repeat to yourself as a mantra that are taking your efficiency score to a higher level? So it's not that Matt just says, hey, go talk to girls. It's at a certain point, okay, well, I can't just go do shitty push-ups for every day and expect my chest to grow. No, I need to increase my efficiency score here. So for the first time ever, he said, hey, well, you just need to go practice. And I had that tool of, man, I need to get my reps in. Okay, got it. I understood that concept, but then it was the, the question of how do I increase my efficiency score here? And so I started reading books. And I distinctly remember, I listened to an audio lecture called A Challenge to Succeed by a guy named Jim Rohn. I listened to that lecture December 31st, 2015, right? And if you think that didn't have a severe impact on my life, why the hell do I know that exact day to this day? Because it changed my life. You know, it's like B-L-A-L, before lecture, after lecture. It was like that pivotal of a moment. And then he recommended three books within that lecture and he recommended How to Win Friends and Influence People, Think and Grow Rich, and The Richest Man in Babylon. And I had never read a book for self-development or self-improvement before that. And within one month of finishing the lecture, I had finished all three books, started a Roth IRA. Started, my life changed for the better instantly. And so the book How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie, that for me was such a big moment because I felt like I was always 51% EQ, 49% IQ. And I'm a little bit more social than I was academic. If I'm on spectrum, it's like, well, I'm on the spectrum that can just like gift of gab. But if you sit me down with a calculus textbook, I'm like, oh, it's like hieroglyphics. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do that. But all of a sudden I read this book and for the first time ever, it was a tool book, step-by-step -step action steps laid out within this guide that was interpersonal communication and winning friends. And so I just started to recognize, man, I can just change little things about my behavior without selling out who I am. I get to maintain my identity, but I'm just going to soften my edges here. And I'm going to learn how to keep conversations going by asking meaningful, conversationally stimulating questions. And it's the same skill set that you've developed to be able to host a podcast and do a good job at it. And so only whenever I listen to that lecture for the first time did I recognize, man, Everything I do is a learnable skill. Everything I do. Being good looking, man, to a large extent, learnable skill. Go get a good haircut, learn to style your body. Not learn to dress exactly based on what you see on a magazine. Learn the general concepts about what's going to look good for you and the activities that you place yourself in. Go to the gym, start exercising. You don't have to turn into a bodybuilder, but just eat slightly healthier food. Care. Care, brush your teeth, floss. Like, and I don't care what your intention is or, or your driver for doing those things. If you don't floss because your dental hygienist says to and it's better for your teeth, but you floss because it makes your teeth whiter, end result is I don't care, you're flossing. If you want to be better at talking to people, go learn how to talk to people. And so for the first time ever, I just started applying the get your reps to the gym, talking to girls, studying. And all of a sudden, I had great grades. I taught myself statistics in three weeks and took six exams in three weeks, got an A in the class. It was like a weird thing where I didn't have the credits I needed to graduate and they didn't tell me. I was like, what the hell? They put me in an independent study and they just said, read the textbook and if you can pass on your own. Yeah. And I got an A in the class. And I was like, from a non-math guy that failed out giving my best effort to then just a year and a half or two years later, getting an A in statistics in college, shortened down to a condensed three weeks of self-taught learning. That's a huge transition right there. And it just came from understanding, man, it's just effort, caring, you know, like you said. There's two things I thought about when you were saying all that. It's you switched from being interesting to being interested. And I think a lot of us go through that phase, especially like you mentioned successful people, like we're born in this environment that puts us immediately into competition. 
So whether you're in sports or in school, like where you have grades, like we're competing against everyone around us. So we're basically competing to be interesting. We want everyone interested in us. Like we want our parents' attention. We want the teacher's attention. We want college's attention. Then you get into the real world. You start learning that no one gives a fuck. So you have to go from like, if you really want to succeed, you have to go from this mentality of trying to gather everyone to be interested in you and you have to be interested in them or interested in the book or interested in showing up to class or interested in going and talking to girls. Like the girls aren't going to come up to you. They're not going to be interested in you unless you're interested in them. And that's a fact for women. Like they want you to come up to them. I don't care how you look. I don't care what you even say to them when you first go up to them. Obviously don't say some dumb shit, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like go up and say hello. It's funny that you say that. Cause like when I lived in New York, you could sit at a bar and you could like, I could watch how many guys, like I could almost pick out who was actually going to go walk up to somebody and who had, I hate using the word who had the balls, but like, I don't know what other phrase there is to say that. Like the, who the had the, right? yeah, yeah, to go do know, that. Exactly. Um, but you could tell yeah, balls, just by balls the way, or lady balls, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to say in today's day and age, right? Um, but you could tell just by their aura, and that's the thing. Like they didn't care about the expectation, and that's where I'm going with the second part of this. Like, I feel like you got better grades because your expectation was less about you needed to get these grades for some ulterior motive of of, of being as smart as your siblings or however smart you think your parents want you to be. And more so you transition the mindset of reps of, I put in the work and I believe when I walk into this exam that something good is going to become of it. And that's, that goes with walking up to women as well. I think a lot of men shoot themselves in the foot a, because they never actually walk up to the women, but B, they lose before they even walk up to them. They're too self-interested. Yeah. Stop. No, no one cares about what you're going to say about yourself. People will always doubt what they are told and never doubt what they conclude. If you allow them to conclude that you are an interested person because you asked good questions and they would answer a question, but maybe give you just a nugget of something else you could talk about and you transition into another tangent about a thing and you, you bring up relevant stories that might fit the the conversation it's so humbling to be on the the receiving end of that and and i don't know if you've read matthew mcconaughey's book green lights 10 out of 10 out of 10 out of 10 less impressed more involved less impressed more involved stop feeling the need to impress everyone and just don't half-ass it yeah just do the thing get involved you know you got you got a whole asset yeah, yeah. That his one. I I listened on Audible and his whole don't half ass it. Like listening to him tell that story. Yeah. Uh, his I'm gonna have story. to listen to it again. That's one of those ones you gotta listen to every year. Oh, it's awesome. But I think another thing that you just hit the nail on the head with that it reminds me of whether it's school or or your career or talking to women, it's again being interested in the fact that you understand what it's like to be on the other side. So like, if we're talking women here, like if it's a gorgeous girl, how many people are coming up to her week over week, over week, over week, right? So a lot, right? So you have to be like, okay, well, what's her response going to be, right? So if you can play into and think five steps ahead, you then can have empathy walking into that conversation. And it's the same thing with college. Like you don't go into college thinking about your job that you're going to get. You're not thinking a hundred steps ahead. So it could also mess you up. It's like, if you're thinking a hundred steps ahead of like, if this girl says yes to me and then we're going to get married, like, and I think this is more so for women thinking about the men's side, but there's a fine line of you want to think and empathize with the other side. You want to think those five steps ahead, but you also don't want to think too far ahead that it's almost overwhelming to you. And that's where I kind of want to shift this conversation into, okay, you started picking up confidence in your life and wherewithal of what you were becoming and who you wanted to become. But I still feel, especially with myself, that once you start gaining all these skills and you and you start gaining the confidence, it's almost just as difficult because then the options are endless. And that's a super overwhelming feeling. It has been for me. And analysis I was wondering paralysis. if you've dealt with that as well. Yeah, it, it is a little bit overwhelming because you just recognize I'm only one man with one life and I won't ever be able to speak every single language, even though I have the capabilities now. I could get my reps in and speak Italian and I could speak French and 
could speak Spanish and I could get my reps in and learn guitar and piano and saxophone. And I could get my reps in and be uh, a lawyer if I really chose to go that route now. And I could get my reps in and become a triathlete and understand how to swim, run and bike like no one else's business. But damn, 24 hours in a day. And, and I have the capability to do it all. It's within my wheelhouse to do anything I set my mind to. You're grappling with a different question. Not what could I do, but what would I do that would give me the, the highest return on my investment in terms of happiness, in terms of lifestyle choices, in terms of cost-benefit analysis? What's going to bring me the highest amount of satisfaction from participating in and putting my full effort in? It's tough to sort that out. And then I want to circle back. you got one more thing to say about the effort that comes in from being less impressed, more involved. you got to stop making excuses. A lot of people will say, oh, I'm not good at talking to girls or, oh, I'm not good at the gym. Oh, I'm not good at remembering people's names. Okay. Get over yourself. I'm not good at it either. You know what I do? And this is for real. I have a note in my phone, many notes, but in the notepad on my phone, I will create name lists. I'm sure I have one for Squatch Frontier Fitness <laughs> and I'm not kidding. It's, I'm sure I got one for CJ Finley in there somewhere. I promise I got one with like, I, I, I also figured out this is the fifth time. The first time was that the track pack and you did that fucking that's like right, that's right, 360 that's right. flip after we were, we were all doing like me running flips. flips. No, we, we were like doing backflips. <laughs> and then this dude comes out of nowhere and like one ups us with a, a full or yeah, uh, that, that was last year. Like me. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. And then you came to squatch after that. So well, yeah, but it's like, man, you can't, you can't make excuses. Write the names down, get them down. Cause name recall matters. You know, it matters. The most important word in any given language to any given person is that person's name. It sounds different going into your ears than it does coming off of my lips. But if I can remember it, it's such a respect thing right there. You know, so it, I have to cut you off here only because this happens to me a lot. I will forget and they know your name. What do you do? I'll ask them and then I will write it down. And honestly, humbly, how, do, how do you go about in a better, in a better way to phrase this question? How do you go about asking them? Cause I always feel super awkward of like, Oh, this person knows my name and has known my name for a while. And like, I'm like, Oh shit, what is their name? I mean, first I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I'll just beeline it to him. I'll try to see if I have a mutual connection that can remind me. But the first thing is if someone tells me I've made a habit, I, I try not to get myself into that situation. First time I hear it, I'll pull my phone out and write down their name and one descriptive factor. I'm sure I got a, a thing in my list, CJ Finley clock tattoo on his hand, you know, like connected by Angela and Chris Devine. It's like, okay, great. I know who CJ is now. It's not going away. It's not going to escape my brain. If I do forget, I'll try to sneakily on the outskirts. And if I can't, I'll just tell him, hey, I really apologize. Whenever you told me your name, I just in one ear, out the other. But I really want to lock it in. So if you remind me. And they'll tell me. And it's always a little bit weird. And you don't always feel great doing that. But if you can avoid that situation from a little bit of effort on the front end. You know, what, what's the saying? Like a, a teaspoon of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Yeah, if you just create a name list, but I mean, it's, this is gold right here. It's in, it's intentional effort, you know. It's like you, you can't just tell yourself, "Oh, I'm not good at X, Y, Z," and then that's your justification to not take action. I mean, if it is, that's fine, but you're gonna have to adjust your expectations to recognize you're not gonna be good at that thing. Oh, I'm not good at the gym. Okay, well, I'm just gonna be fat and not have the body that I want or out more out of shape. You're not necessarily going to be fat, but you either have to take action or you've got to adjust your expectations and where dissatisfaction comes from and feeling like a failure is you don't take action because you just justify it as not being good at it. And then you don't adjust your expectations. I don't want to get my reps in because I'm not really good at calculus. I'm not really good at statistics, but I want to be an engineer. You see how that's not going to lead to a positive end result. And most people are too stubborn to change their expectations without taking any Because action. it's not their expectation. It's everyone else's expectation of what they should do or what they should become because they're not confident enough to actually adjust their expectations to what they truly want. Yeah. That's what I have experienced. It's like, I want to be an engineer because I don't know what I want to be. And I'm not confident enough to say, you know what? I don't fucking know. And unfortunately, like we're putting too much pressure on younger people that we don't allow them to say, it's okay to not know what you want to be. I'm 31 and I still don't know. My parents are in their 60s. They don't know. Like they went, my dad has a whole, had a whole career. And I guarantee you, if I asked him, like, what does he want from the rest of his life? He's not going to have a solid answer. 
if you're that go-getter type of person, every day almost becomes a challenge to continue to grow. Let me put a seed in the ground right now. When is that seed going to be 12 inches tall? I don't know. I just know it's going to grow. If I water it, if it gets sunlight, but like when will it exactly be 12 inches or when will it exactly look a certain way or reap that fruit? I don't know. And that scares people. So instead they just like stunt their own growth because that's the easier thing to do. And honestly, that's what most people around them are doing. And then here's the other fucked up thing. And I'd love to ask you this is you started growing into yourself and learning all these things. How did the relationships with your friends, family, and just your relationships in your circle change or did they stay the same? Because for me, a lot of them change because once you start growing and other people see that, people either keep up or they try to pull you down and you're like, things start to become toxic. And I ain't about that life. So like, I just kept going. So for you and your past, like how was navigating that? Because I think other people are, one of the biggest things that I get questioned on is like, I want this change. And it's not that they want to change their expectation. It's that they're afraid to lose the people around them. So I think talking about two different types of expectations. One is the self-determined expectation. What do you want with a specific goal? And then if your actions don't match your expectations, you need to find an adjustment on one end or the other. The other is external expectations of what you are supposed to be doing. Right. So one is, for example, if I set the expectation that I'm going to go run a Spartan race and I don't train for it and I show up and can't complete it, I said I was going to do a Spartan race and I didn't prepare myself. Okay. Well, I either need to expect a different outcome. I'm not going to complete it or I need to align my behavior with my expectation. The other is other people's expectations that, and my parents, again, they were really great. So I want to emphasize that they weren't telling me I need to be an engineer. This was self-imposed based on what I thought their expectations were. Other people I'm sure deal with it in much more direct ways where your parents are telling you, you got to be a doctor. At a certain point, you got to recognize it's your life. It's no one else's. It's your life. So you got to take that into your control. And then in terms of relationships, reading books on how to navigate those relationships and maintaining them is very important. And then also understanding relationships are either in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And you got to bucket those up. Say that again. Relationships are either in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And what you don't appreciate or what not enough people appreciate is a season that could be five, six years. I've had a couple of those. I've had two in distinct recent history in my life that were long-term friendships that I thought were lifelong. And it was a six-year season. And we are no longer super close in the same way that we were. And we're not on bad terms, but we're not close. Things happen. Things changed. And you got to be able to recognize, man, it's time to cut the bad fruit off of the tree, my tree. It's not bad, but it's not the fruit that needs to grow here. I got an apple tree and, and that's a, you know little crab apple and it's stealing your water yeah yeah that that one can't be here anymore not for me and honestly you got to recognize sometimes you are the crab apple in other people's trees it's hey it's time to go and that's okay it's time to go and that's okay but also you got to be able to respectfully sit people down and have clear communication i think too many people are afraid to do this right here eye to eye conversation keep your energy below a three I'm not here to get mad. I'm not here to yell, but I'm here to express. And if people are going to cut you off, that's okay. I'll listen. I'll let you talk yourself out because you have valid opinions and valid thoughts, but I also have valid opinions and valid thoughts. And in terms of the decisions I'm going to make with my life, they're more valid than yours. You know, I'm not saying yours are invalid, but it's like having a multiple choice answer where multiple answers are one is right and one is more right. Okay, that's fine. You can have your expectations of me, mom. You, know, you want me to be an engineer, dad. You know, whatever it is, it's like, that's fine. Guys, that doesn't bring me joy. But if you get all up in arms, all up in smokes, you're an ineffective communicator and you can't sit down and relay a conversation back and forth about they want the best for you and, and they really thought this was the life path. And you tell them, guys, I'm okay. I'm secure. I will find ways to make this work out in the long term. It's difficult to establish that type of communication that's effective in both ways. And then it's also tough to let your ego go and recognize sometimes people are just offering advice that maybe feels like a crab apple, but in reality, it's a whole new seed for a whole new tree that's going to grow way bigger and stronger than the one you got. And it's just not the, the path you had imagined for yourself. 
and it's okay. I never thought I'd go back to school. My dad had never stopped insisting that I should consider that a possibility. He's never forcing it down my throat, but it was like, man, you've done a lot of great things and you've had some major success in certain areas of your life and you've been financially stable. You've never called on me to pay your rent. You've never called on me to, you're okay. I get it, man. And you've got, you know, high society connections in New York city. That's awesome. You should really consider going back and finishing your education because it matters for you, not for the sake of the piece of paper, but you'll learn. It's like you were talking about earlier. You said you took it from an extrinsic motivation to an intrinsic motivation. I'm not doing it because I need to get a degree because of want, 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 want Charlie Brown's parents. It's like, no, I'm doing it because I want to take these classes to learn these skill sets because I want to grow the knowledge between my ears and that'll serve me in the long run and make me more successful for whatever else I'm doing. You should consider that, man, even though I don't want to go to school and I always thought academia was not in my wheelhouse, okay, I have it within my capabilities to succeed. I'm going to humble myself and listen to people even though they're telling me things that are against the grain of my soul. That's okay, you know? It's crazy as we get older when people say things that make the hair on your back stick up. That's what you should be listening to more because it says more about you than it does about them. If something is causing that within you, it means that there's some truth to that. That's what I've learned is the things that go in one ear out the other, like never impact me at all. But the things that like cause me to like have a higher heart rate, those are the things like when I like go for a walk or whatever, I'm like, okay, like what made me do that? And why am I feeling in a certain way? And especially with the parent dad son relationship is, is always a tough one because it's almost like innately we've been as humans brought up to compete with them purposely because the way that any organism goes above surviving and and they want to thrive is like we get better humans are supposed to get better every animal is supposed to get better like we're supposed to procreate and like the weaklings are supposed to die off and then we're just supposed to get better and better and better so it's innately within us to like want to compete and it's hard for us to receive in a way where we see it as they want the best for us and we think the best for us is one way versus deep down we know that life is long. And I love how you use the word seasons because that's how I view school and academia is I'm a wholehearted believer. If I went back now, I would do better than I did then. I'm back at 27. I've never done so well in school with as little effort as I've been putting in. I'm Enough effort, but it's so easy to go back. And honestly, I'm so glad that I took a nonlinear path. Whenever I went to school the first time, failed out, went back, got a junior college degree. So I did two years of of JUCO. And for me, I thought that was phenomenal. I was saving money and I graduated after two years and I was a junior college graduate and not a university dropout after two years. So because I have that two-year bookmark, I got to come back in and I'm now a accredited junior. I think I've actually taken enough credits to have earned a bachelor's. It was just never geared towards a specific degree plan. But now I'm back at 27. My professors have put me in a whole other category of student. I've been able to sit down with them and create office hour conversations that have really allowed me to foster relationships with them that will serve me far greater purposes than anything I ever would have had the knowledge of how to create at 18 or 19 or 20 years old. At 27, I'm coming back, and it really is, it seems so black and white, so easy. I just do what they tell me to do, and I'm succeeding like nobody's business. I think my lowest grade right now in the five classes I'm in is a 96. It's like, I'm really grateful to be back at 27, which I thought I would never want to do because I'd be embarrassed to be a decade older than my classmates. Ask me if I give a shit. I'll tell you. You don't have to ask me. I don't. Yeah, I I love that. And, man, it's been awesome to chat with you i feel like i could sit here for another hour but we're 56 minutes in and oh my goodness unfortunately i don't get paid for this yet uh we're getting there keyword so, though <laughs> keyword yet yet yes i mean i i said it yet it's happening it's in the works uh one of my major goals of uh, over the course of the next year is to get to the next peak everything is in life is about peaks and valleys i wrote about this yesterday if you're on my newsletter and one of the things one of my goals has been to transition this into my career path and the way that i get there is having amazing conversations with people like sean here but it does limit me to trying to stick within the one hour time frame um because once i get paid it's like i can go as long as i want right but yeah i'd love to 
wrap up here with uh, you just giving us a minute of what you're working on today. And I know you, that you're, you're building a business on the side of what you're doing at school and, and everything else that you got going on. And I want to give you some of the spotlight so that maybe somebody that was listening to this and connected with us would potentially want to work with you now or in the future. Cool. Yeah. So I'm currently a student at UT. I'm studying movement science, minoring in business. And then after I graduate, I might go get an MBA. I'm not really sure, but I'm just looking to, man, I'm really looking to fill my brain with as much education as possible. And on the side, I do some content creation as well. So you can follow me on Instagram at Sean Alexander with two R's on the end. So Sean Alexander. And, um, I do online coaching and digital personal training. So my business is called Simple Approach. I am the Simple Approach Coach. And the whole concept is you don't need to be Arnold Schwarzenegger to be fit. You don't need to follow the most rigid workout plan. I don't track calories. I don't follow a specific meal plan. I, I don't even follow a, a super rigid workout plan. A life ebbs and flows, and you got to be able to ebb and flow with it. I do, however, always have a six-pack. And that's not genetic. I've got brothers that don't, you know, so it's one of those things. It's the simple approach. How do you just formulate, formulate an optimized lifestyle that allows you to have your cake and eat it too metaphorically and literally, you know? So that's the deal. If you want to reach out, please hit me up on Instagram. I think that's probably the easiest way to connect. And I would love to, to chat with you, whether or not it's to work with me as a coach or just get connected. I've just moved to Austin, I think six or seven weeks ago, I'm looking to make some more friends and relationships here and, and really all across the world. So yeah, that's what we're all about here. So if you listen to Sean today and would love to chat with him, I highly recommend reaching out. It's been a blast getting to chat with you and get to know you a little bit more and, and work out and do the flips and all the fun stuff. Uh, but I really, really, really do enjoy uh, this side of the world where I get to learn more about people and their stories and how can I share their story to then potentially connect with somebody else and, and help them thrive on life. So that leads me into the last question that we always ask everybody, which is if I were to ask you, what does thriving mean to you? What would your response be? Ooh, that's a great question. Before I answer, while I think about that on the back burner, bro, thank you so much for having me, man. I know this is kind of a last minute hit me up like last week. Really, really glad to have been here. So you take notes on like people's names. Like I take notes on interesting things I hear and I want to spotlight you because you were talking about, uh, we didn't really get too far into this, into, in this podcast, maybe on the next one, but being a cheerleader and how you didn't go to play football and how like that kind of going against the grain in that way shaped a little bit of, of who you are. And I heard it off the cuff because I wasn't even in that conversation. You were talking to Ross and Braden. When I heard that, I was like, I got to have you on the podcast because that's the type of people that I want to surround myself with. And what I like treat myself as is uh, kind of like the um, amplifier. That's amplifier, nice. Like I want to nice. amplify other people's stories and messages because I'm a big believer. You mentioned a lot of books, education. I like free education. I believe that everybody deserves to get smarter, more intelligent so that they can better their lives and their families' lives and their communities' lives. And podcasting is that way where, I mean, you can just tune in to everybody that we have here and you're going to learn something, have a takeaway. So it's been an honor. I appreciate you. And I hope that was enough time to give you to think about your response. Thriving, living up to your fullest potential, right? If you feel like you got the makings of greatness inside of you, living true to that feeling, that for me is thriving. So this right here, felt like thriving, man. It's, it's things like this right now that just kind of get you buzzing. I love it. And at the end of every show, I always take a second here to reflect and think about like what was the most impactful message that the guests had here today. And yours was simple and sweet, not surprising, the simple approach coach, but just the word reps, literally just reps. I'm going to write that. I'm building a house right now. When we get the new house, I'm going to put a chalkboard paint on one of the walls of my house so that people can come through and just like leave messages and like really inspire me. I, my friend Amber has it in one of her bathrooms in her condo. And like, you just see these inspirational messages and it really hit home with me. And reps is really what it's all about. Like you mentioned disliking running for me. I ran three miles this morning and I just cruise 645 pace, like get closing in on like, I did five miles in under 35. Couldn't even do that in college as a college soccer player. Man is a cheetah. Um, but that was just reps. It's been two years of like, even though I still don't like it, <laughs> like I've gone, I've done a couple hundred reps now. I'm about to do over a hundred miles this this month, but I still don't, I don't enjoy it. But the reps that I've seen and the improvement there just remind me of everywhere else in my life. 
especially this podcast where again, I'm at 151 and the fact that I get to have beautiful conversations with people like yourself is a testament to that word rep. So I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you stand for. And I'm looking forward to continuing to see you thrive at UT and beyond. And if there's anything we can do, would love to help. But until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.